If you're a leader or an aspiring leader in the business of lifelong learning, you're in the right place. I'm Salisa Steele. And I'm Jeff Cobb. And this is the Leading Learning Podcast. Welcome to episode 245 of the Leading Learning Podcast, where we speak with Richard Millington, founder of the community consulting firm Feverbee and author of Buzzing Communities. Rich was a guest way back in the first year of the Leading Learning Podcast, and we thought it was past time to have him return to talk about the evolution of online communities and the role they're playing in our current circumstances. Jeff, what ground do you and Rich cover? Well, as you suggest, Elisa, we do focus a good bit on what's happening with online communities in the midst of the pandemic we're currently experiencing. Interestingly, Rich sees some of the most exciting developments flowing out of the growth of virtual events. Indeed, he was already seeing that a couple of months ago when this interview was recorded, and I think what he says in the interview has continued to play out and grow stronger. You and I have, of course, talked frequently about the very natural, really symbiotic connection between virtual events and online community, but Rich brings perspectives that I know I I hadn't really considered before, and they're informed by the just really massive amount of experience he has in working with such a wide variety of communities. Now, the pandemic aside, we do also discuss how communities have evolved in the decade plus in which he's been working with them. And some of those changes have been driven by technology, but probably more driven by our needs as human beings, how we have changed over that time period. And then we do, do also get into some practical tips about how to successfully launch and grow a community. And that's just scratching the surface. It's a really interesting conversation and one I think listeners are going to find very useful. And what reflection questions did you come up with to go along with this episode? And as a reminder, listeners, you can find the reflection questions in the show notes available at leadinglearning.com slash episode 245. Well, this is another one of those episodes in which I really want to focus on just one area. We briefly talk about the topic directly, but I think it's also there in the background throughout. Namely, how well are you cultivating and leveraging the relationship between online community and virtual events in your learning business? What might you do to better connect the two and help generate more overall value for your learners? Well, that's always a fruitful area for learning businesses to be focused on, but it does seem especially important right now. And I know Rich is a great source of guidance. So let's get the interview rolling. Hello, and welcome to the Leading Learning Podcast. I'm Jeff Cobb, and today my conversation partner is Rich Millington, founder of Feverbee, an international community consultancy, and he's also the author of Buzzing Communities. And Rich's clients have included Google, Facebook, Oracle, Wikipedia, Greenpeace, and many, many more names that you'll recognize. And he also has had his brief 15 minutes, well, maybe more like 45 minutes of fame, joining us on the Leading Learning Podcast before. But that was way back in episode 47. So looking forward to catching up again. But first, Rich, Welcome back to the Leading Learning Podcast. Yeah, hi, thanks. It's great to be to be back here. What episode are you on to now? We are, this will be, well, I'm not even sure. I think it's going to be episode 237, 238. We haven't decided. Wow, uh, congratulations. So, That's incredible. Yeah, so nearly 200 episodes ago that you talked with us. A lot of, wow. a lot of water under the bridge since then. So. So we've been doing we've been doing something right, I think, and I know you have also in the meantime. And uh, so why don't we start off with I gave that you know very 
quick uh, little blurb about you there, but uh, can you tell us a little bit more about who you are and, and what you do? Sure. So I'm the founder of a community consultancy called Feverbee, and we do one thing extremely well, which is helping organizations build the best communities that they possibly can. Uh, you know, the communities that are going to change the lives of their participants and ideally change the way that all, that all organizations do business, the way that they engage with their members and all of the great things like that. So that's very heavily involving principles of psychology and bringing those principles of psychology into constructing these amazing online communities. Well, maybe we can talk about some of those psychological principles. Some I love that aspect of, of community, and of course, it relates into learning well, also, which is you know the focus of uh, of this podcast and, and our work. But be before we go any deeper into those sorts of details, though, I want to make sure that um, that we and the listeners are on the same page. So, can you tell us, you know, what you mean when you use that word community? Seems like people have a lot of a lot of meanings for it. Yeah, I mean, if you talk to 10 people working in the community space, you'll have 10 different de definitions, I think. So I think there's two definitions that seem, that seem to work well, and it depends on your perspective. The first one is very specific. It's a group of people who have developed strong relationships around a common shared interest that they have. So if you hang out with your buddies, you know, that play the same Dungeons and Dragons game together, or if you um, play football with your buddies, or like if you are in, in the local, local neighborhood where you live, that could be your community, the place where you feel that you belong and that incredible sense of uh, connection that comes with it. The definition I think is more common today is um, a group of people who interact with each other online. And that can be people that just come and ask a question and leave. Um, or it could be people that do fit into that um, narrow band of we're together, we're building that sense of community, we feel that we belong here. Um, so these days, I would skew more towards that broader definition, people that interact with each other online around a common interest. They might not always have the same um, strength of relationships, but they're there, they're part of something, they're contributing even if they're just watching and listening they're still contributing by their watching and listening to that community mm -hmm. and now we were talking a bit you know before we hit the record button about uh these kind of being strange times uh how our our sense of time is even yeah. uh, a little bit off um and for anybody who's you know listening way out in the future we're you know right now in in, in the midst of this whole covid19 uh pandemic it's changing everybody's lives um I, I'm wondering what kind of impact you're seeing on people's interest in community, people's participation in, in online communities. Um, you know, how has the current situation been changing things in the whole online community world? Yeah, I wish there was a single answer I can give, but I think the reality is that it depends on the community. There are mm. some communities... Um, around a more general topic area. Let's talk about um, sites like um, Reddit, um, Stack Overflow that are definitely seeing a surge in activity. And then there's like the typical brand communities that are seeing a uh, decline in the level of participation, especially those related to products that you buy or sell. If you're not buying as many pro pro products as you used to, you have less questions to ask and so, and so on and so forth. Um, I think what's really interesting though, besides just the level of participation, is the type of participation. The mm. level of innovation we're seeing now in the way that events are going online, in the way that people are engaging and participating in brand new ways, I think that's so exciting. And if there's any um, 
if there's any green sparks at, or green green shoots from this terrible situation, it's the sheer level of innovation that's taking place in some of these communities. I've seen clubs that are now going online and people are like dressing up and they're dancing like in their living room, but it's still connected via Zoom. It's still a part of an amazing community. Um, mm. We're seeing a level of in in. In innovation in schools and classes that were formerly uh, offline and now taking place online and how you keep people engaged in when they are surrounded by all the things that can distract them um, so often. Um, so I think we're seeing an incredible level of innovation, especially with uh, events. I think events, um, I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what's possible with events at the moment, especially on tools like Zoom, on um, Slack and the other channels that are out there. Um, and I think we're going to see new communities that are being formed today, new technologies being started today that are going to perpetuate long after this is finished. Um, so I'm I'm excited about what it's going to look like a year from now, once all this, or two years from now, whenever this um, terrible uh, situation has passed. Um, but there's definitely some interesting things that are going on here. Well, I, and I, I completely see that as well. Um, and I'm wondering, you, you mentioned a number of times there, Online events, um, Zoom. I, I feel like people are living on on Zoom right now. Uh, I mean, are you sure. seeing? Yeah, I mean, are, are you seeing a, a lot of effort to kind of connect something like Zoom, you know, which is that on online live video type interaction? It, well, I guess you know when I think of online community um, in my world, for example, Higher Logic is is a big presence, just to name a specific platform, sure. you know, and, and it's it's more of a discussion forum type thing. I mean, have you seen a, a lot of effort to kind of bring those sort of more traditional uh, community type platforms together with a Zoom or you know with a GoToWebinar or whatever it is? And uh, and you know, it seems to me like you're you're getting all the pieces of what might be part of a say a big like conference type event where there's a lot of networking a lot of you know walk in the hallways uh communicating with each other and then you do also have you know the, the live sessions uh education being delivered keynotes being delivered that sort of thing are you are you seeing that type of thing going on a lot now to a certain extent i don't think a lot of the larger organizations using platforms like higher logic or chorus or salesforce or those platforms have really quite got to where they need to be the interesting hmm. Uh, the really exciting stuff for me are people that are building these communities from scratch using very cheap tools like um, Zoom um, and Slack. And so forums will always have their place. If you want to document knowledge, if you want a discussion where you can see the history of that discussion, if you want to be able to search for that information, then forums are fantastic for that. But in terms of getting people together and sharing an experience right now, in terms of sharing what we've learned today, in terms of um, what we plan to do tomorrow, then tools like Slack and Zoom combine so well together. And I'm really mm. excited about that. I'm really excited about tools like um, like Zoom. Pe most people have, haven't even scratched the surface of what you can do with Zoom yet. I mean, it's very easy to have a large group, you know, a few hundred people that are attending a session and then put them into their own groups of two of twos and threes where they can talk to just one another and then bring them back into that big session as well. Zoom has the features that let you do that. And most people aren't even right. using them yet. And that's exciting. Um, on the forum side, I think forums will definitely have their place, but I think a lot of the discussions that are taking place right now seem to be more related to live discussions in the moment, how people think, how people feel, rather than the more forum-based discussions along the lines of what works, you know, um, I'm having this situation, how have you solved it? Um, there's a different type of interaction, different type of intent and motivation, um, but both can, co can coexist well, I believe. 
and that that's a great distinction. I hadn't really stepped back enough to to reflect on it. Um, that particularly right now there is that need for immediacy that that does you know to a certain extent have to do with knowledge and information, but as you said, is often really connected to emotion and just you know just feeling like you want to be able to relate to other people, share your experiences. Whereas something like the forum probably much more about knowledge management, um, preserving uh, and, and, and enhancing knowledge over time. But of course, as you're saying, the two can can work very well uh, together. Now, you know, we're, we're in a, a specific set of circumstances right now that are you know, heavily influencing how people think about, use community. But you've been at this for a long time. Um, I'm like 2008, something like that is when you um, started Feverbee. Is that uh, about yeah, the right time? That was it. Yeah. All right. So, so you've been seeing, you know, back then it was probably a little bit of a buzz, a little bit of a trend. It's become, I think, much more of a standard thing over time for a company or an organization to say, we're going to have an online community. Um, I mean, this, this may be sort of too big a question, but I'll, I'll throw it out there for you anyway. I mean, what, what are some of the, the, the big changes? How, how have things evolved over that, you know, more than a decade period with community? If you look at 2008 and, you know, COVID aside, you look at, you know, where we were maybe two or three months ago, what what was the evolution like over that time? Yeah, I mean, since two, 2008, like 2008 was the golden age of like these um, enterprise platforms and forums that were all emerging around that time. Like all, all, all of the big vendors were launched in the couple of years before or a couple of years after that. And then with the rise of social me- media around like, you know, 2010 to maybe 2016, um, a lot of the communities moved into the social me- media space. And there's kind of a feeling, I think, that that's where everything was going. You know, everything was going to Twitter, mm-hmm. Facebook, Instagram, TikTok or Snapchat, whatever. Um, I don't think that's happened. I think this happened to a certain degree in certain kinds of groups and communities. I think there's certain situations where and certain sectors where um, people will build a community on a platform that already that already exists, like um, they'll start their own subreddit or they'll go to um, Facebook and start their own group or WhatsApp group. I think that's always going to exist. Um, but forums, um, they've tended to find their own place in specific sectors, uh, like customer support, like some areas of, um, ed- of education, like some areas of customer success, where they're integrated into the entire experience that someone has. So if someone is uh, joining in, say, your association or joining your school or just become a new customer of, of you, um, then you can create a very structured experience for them when they first arrive in that site. What were the first interactions they, they have? Uh, who do they interact with? And you can build that whole engagement with them. And I think that's quite exciting. Generally speaking, though, like it's different for every, for every sector. Like associations seems to be in um, kind of their own space to a certain extent where a lot mm-hmm. of them are still going well. They've got a standard platform like HireLogic that they've been using. Um, yeah, Um I think one of the really interesting things that's happening probably in the last few years is that people don't connect their identity so much to a standalone platform that they might um, be a part of. So for example, um, there used to be like online communities where this was your identity and you'd spend ages setting up your profile and all, and all that kind of stuff. I think that's generally moved to social media now. I think the same mm. people that connect with each other on a hosted online community or, or a specific platform also now connect on Twitter, they connect on Facebook, they connect on all those platforms. And that is where they create and they maintain their identity. 
And this is really important because we could spend so much time talking about profiles in a community or how people behave, but people more and more, they want to um, show off what, what they've done in the community outside of it, you know, on Twitter right. or on other, other channels. They want to maintain the identity there. They want to be recognized as, as an expert there. And those kinds of things are really interesting. So I think social me- media is going to have and continue to have a big impact. Um, I think forums are still going to be a great place for a certain kind of discussion, more detailed, um, where people want to search for that information. Um, but I think also the um, other, other trend I mentioned is just a, ri- just a rise in a group chat the last few years as well. A lot of the discussions that would take place in a community now take place in a private WhatsApp group. Um, almost uh, every sector I, I can imagine, like even in the community space right now, there's a private WhatsApp group for some of the, you know, the known people in that space or we talk to each other, connect with one with one another, we share advice that maybe we don't want to share with the group. I think that rise in that need for privacy and exclusivity where you can ask questions and be vulnerable to a smaller audience is quite powerful as well. There's a lot of different things going on, some of it driven by the technology, uh, but most of it just driven by the way we're changing and how our needs are, are changing as well. Yeah. And so, I mean, at this point, you know, let's say you're going in to consult with a group that um, that wants to start up a, a community. And um, I just, you know, for the sake of narrowing it some, let's say it's, you know, some sort of membership type uh, uh, organization, which, I mean, you know, may mean an association, maybe it means a company that just has a, a subscription model, um, you know, that's got members uh, that are um, buying from it year over year. I mean, do you have kind of standard tips uh are you willing to share you know a standard tip or two that that you would bring to bear in in those situations to get them started to make sure they're gonna you know get up and running get people into the community get them at least you know reasonably get the level of engagement i guess they need to to get a little bit of momentum going yeah i could talk for weeks about this um so let me just try and and distill it into a few (laughs) core things i think would help the most if you don't have much experience building community before and you've decided you want to do it, and that is absolutely fantastic. There's a couple of things I think are really important, and I'll try and be really specific. Um, One is to um, begin with a core group of founding members in the first place. The temptation when you launch a community is that you you might invest heavily on a platform, and then you want to invite everybody to join it and start participating like crazy. But these big bang launches just don't work. Um, and even if they did work, you wouldn't be prepared for that level of activity today. Like it, it takes time to build up the skills, the, um, the resources to handle that level of participation. So start small, find a really tiny niche or niche, as you say in the USA, find a really mm-hmm. tiny niche and then make sure that you can satisfy their interests, their needs better than anywhere else. Like why will people go to that community? What is the problem that you're solving for them? Really be specific about, you know, this group of 20, 30, 50, however many, many it is, but a few, a few dozen seems, seems to be that sweet spot. You interview them, you spend time with them, you really personify what their needs are and build that community around that. Initially, I recommend styling with something that's quite inexpensive to use. Um, there's plenty of tools like, um, Mighty Networks, Facebook groups, WhatsApp, uh, Slack, those, those kinds of channels. And then as you grow and as you start to, burst at the seams of the in terms of level participation then you might want to move to a different platform like um, higher logic or one of the other options that that are out there um unless you start to grow then you can start figuring out who the top members are you can start building out a specific pro program just to help them 
And usually they're most motivated by access, access to you, access that they get that other people don't get. Um, it's one of mm. the biggest motivators that, pe that people have. Um, and then continue scaling that program gradually. Don't try and have this mass rush of activity. Make sure it works as a small community before it becomes a big community. And then you can invest more in the technology as the community grows instead of a massive upfront investment. So at this stage, as you say, go from 50 to 100 members, you start looking at creating content and newsletters and digests and those kinds of things. You want to be figuring out what the toughest cha challenges that your audience has and then starting discussions and questions and live activities where people can solve those challenges in that community. Try and have a series of milestones in place, like things that you've achieved, things that are coming up, things that the community can contribute on together. So there's always that sense of, of momentum. You always feel like you're growing and there's more and more activity and participation and success. And don't be shy of sharing the success stories uh, from the community with the community. If one member has used the resources of the community and succeeded, then share that with the community. That's a powerful asset and resource that you can use. And finally, and again, this is a huge topic and I'm just distilling it to a few core points. Try and figure out what each person can contribute to that community. I mean, there are people that are going to have a high level of expertise. They can answer most of the questions, I'm sure, and that's fantastic. And these people are essential. But every single person to your community has skills, experience, or resources, or a perspective that they can contribute to it. Even if someone that's new to the topic, that's never had any pre previous experience to that topic, they know what it's like to be new to that topic. They can ask questions that's going to help the next person that's new to that topic. So you've got to figure out what are the resources, what are the assets that you can find ways for people to contribute to that community because everyone can. If you design it right, everyone can contribute productively to that community. And the more that your members feel like they're making a unique, useful contribution to that community, the more they will continue to participate. I hope that helps in some mm. degree. Well, that's that's fantastic, and I and I do appreciate your taking uh, what you know. Obviously, is a very very large question that I know. I mean, you have so many years of experience around at this point. That <laughs> I, I have no doubt you, you could talk uh, for quite a while on it. And and I know that Feverby does also offer some excellent training uh, options uh, around you know all of these different aspects yeah. of launching and running and growing a community. So we'll, we'll make sure we link to those in the, in the show notes <laughs> as well as to your to your blog, which is a fantastic resource. So thank you. You know, one of the sure sure and. Uh, I mean, one of the main things I hear in that, which, uh, you know, I, I think is, um, can, can put people off of community, but I think, but it's also at the core of why they can be so valuable, um, both in the, in the value they generate for the members, but, but also any organization that has, you know, a, a really vibrant, growing, engaged community, that's a tremendous business asset, you know, so you're, you're creating this tremendous value for your business, for your organization, but there's just no denying, you know, based on, on what you were just describing, that that takes quite a bit of work, like just about anything that's, that's worthwhile, you know, the, the, the types of things you just described, you've got to put the time in to do. So um, what I, I sort of have to ask about this, I know your specific focus isn't around, um, you know, education or, or, you know, what might be described as learning communities per se, but it, it does seem to me... Um, or at least I keep saying it. So I've gotten to the point where I, I definitely believe it now that, uh, um, that, that learning in many ways is like the, the, the oil that greases uh, just about any community. Um, mm -hmm. You know, that if the people in the community aren't, you know, somehow learning from each other in an informal way, not, you know, not 
conducting classes or anything, but continually exchanging knowledge and, and benefiting from each other's presence that, that is, that it's probably hard for a community to get much momentum. I mean, how, how do you think about the element of, of learning in a community? And I, and I think I'm particularly interested in asking it now because there, there are a lot of discussions out there in the learning world about, you know, learning in the flow of life, learning in the flow of work, you know, and it seems like a, a community is a great place for that sort of thing to, to happen. So how do you think about learning and community? Sure. I think that's what's happening in every single interaction in a community. People are learning more about the topic. They're learning more about each other. They're learning more about what the social norms of that group are. They're learning what people like themselves do. And I also think that communities are the ultimate source of learning. I mean, you can study something on your own, but if you do it as part of a group, you're going to learn so much more. There are so many, there's so much knowledge that's in a community that you can't search for on the internet. I mean, you can find out what the process of a cancer treatment is like, but if you want to know how it feels, if you want to know what fears that people have had before, like if you want to know uh, what people have had to overcome in their own journeys, it's very hard to search for that. If I'm trying to find a trustworthy vendor to work with, I can find, you know, a, li- a big list of vendors, but I don't know what the experience of like is working of working with them is. So I can get that level of expertise from a community. I mean, my favorite example was um, a couple of years ago. I decided to learn some pro some programming skills. One of the things I really wanted to do was to be able to scrape the data from on- from online communities and compare it and study it and analyze it. And I was I was really enthusiastic about this, and I took a course in. In in us in 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 statistics and Python and but even with the course I felt like I didn't really know what I was doing like um and you can go through all the exercises and it's structured and you kind of pick up things here and there but when it comes actually trying to do it I felt completely lost. It's like when you learn a language in it's like when when you learn French in 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 a classroom and then you go to France and you realize you don't understand what anyone's saying. Like there's a completely different experience in that. And so I just began doing it, trying to create a very simple scrape of one community. And every every time I got stuck, I went to a community, Stack, o, Stack Overflow came up a lot. And I asked a question there, or I searched for another question that was asked. And every single time, every time I got an incredible answer. Like I was blown away by pretty much every question I'd ever had had already been answered in that community or there's someone there that could answer that question. And I think communities are fantastic at that because you're never going to be the first person with that problem, I'm guessing. Um, And that means someone else has had that challenge before and they've overcome it. And they know not just the the informative side of how to overcome it, but the emotional side as well. And that's a completely different experience. I mean, we worked with a community of of, uh, architects a a a while back and it's one thing to tell architects what to study to pass the ARE exam. Um, it's another thing entirely to give them that motivation, that connection, that that idea of how to be emotionally ready for how intensive that is. That's a completely different thing. And so for me, like that's my most incredible learning experience in the last 10 years or so. Just every time I got stuck, even if it was just a simple, stupid issue, like I could go to that community, I could ask a question, I could get help. And I found that towards the end of it, I was trying to help the next people with that question as well, next people with that problem as well. So for me, that's an incredible thing. And I think communities are fantastic at bringing out a level of expertise and experience that you just can't get from anywhere else, nowhere else. 
Well, and you were, you referenced at the very beginning, you know, some of the like psychology, psychological factors that go into a uh, community. And I, and I feel like we've um, kind of indirectly just touched on so many of them or you, or you have, you know, just in, in really getting at, you know, that, that you know, feeling of re- reciprocity, a feeling of just shared experience, you know, um, really tapping people's motivations or their, their emotions related to experience, uh, you know, community does all of that so much better um, in most instances than kind of formal didactic type content can, can do in, in an educational setting. Yeah. Well, now, since we're on the, the topic of learning and, and we need to, to wrap up our discussion, um, it's a, probably a good time to, to ask you the question that, uh, that we like to ask of all of our guests here on the Leading Learning Podcast. I think, I think we had maybe uh, a standard question the last time you were on, but that was so long ago, it was a different standard question. I'm pretty sure if we, if we had one <laughs> at that point. So what we're asking at this point really, really focuses on your personal um, learning and, and specifically, and, and you may have just answered this, I, I don't know, but uh, maybe you can dig up another one if you did. And that's, you know, what's one of the most powerful learning experiences you've been involved in as an adult since finishing your, your formal education? Sure. Um, other than what I just mentioned, I think any situation when I've been fully immersed in the topic, I remember years, and this might be my answer last time, actually. Like, I remember years ago, I was trying to learn Lithuanian because my wife was lit, was mm. Lithuanian. And the only way I could really get to grips with it was going to Lithuania and living there and just fully immersing myself in, in the topic. And, like, going to a class was good, but just doing it, just doing it rather, rather than spending ages reading books or taking courses. It's the same with, like, learning Python or R or any other tool that you know that I use today, just doing it, I learned so much. Um, it's like doing sales as well, you know. Like I must have done um, millions of dollars in sales the last 10, 10 years or so, and you just learn by doing it. You start picking up on things that you just can't even imagine that you didn't know you didn't know, and it becomes more automatic. You start to do things quite instinct, inst- inst- instinctively. So I think those situations are what really moved the needle for me. Um, so maybe that was three answers instead of one, but I think <laughs> it's fully immersing myself in that, in those topics is just what it's, it's what I love. Like learning a new, a new skill is one of the best feelings that um, I've ever had. Yeah. What the, th- thanks for sharing that. Yeah. And immersion is just uh, so powerful. I've, I've definitely experienced that uh, with language uh, myself and, and particularly for awesome. something like that. It's, it's yeah. important, but uh important in general. Well, Rich, you know, thanks so much for, for taking the time to come back on again. I'm a big fan of your work. Yeah. And um, I want to make sure, yeah, I want to make sure more people know about you. Um, if, if listeners, and I'm sure they will want to learn more about you and and your work and, and, and maybe be able to connect with you, uh, where, where are the places they should go for that? Yeah, you can connect with me at feverbee.com or if you want to email me, richard at feverbee.com or at Rich Millington on Twitter uh, works well. Great. Well, fantastic conversation. Um, looking forward to seeing how things continue to evolve with um, with you and Feverbee and too. the world me of too. community. And yeah. And in the meantime, thanks, thanks again for coming on the show. Thanks a lot. Bye. That concludes the interview with Rich Millington. For show notes, go to leadinglearning.com slash episode 245, and the show notes will include the reflection questions. How well are you cultivating and leveraging the relationship between online community and virtual events in your learning business? What might you do to better connect the two and help generate more overall value for your learners? 
And when you check out the show notes, you'll also see various options for subscribing to the podcast. If you're getting value out of what you hear, we'd be truly grateful if you would subscribe. It helps us to get some data on the impact of what we're doing. We'd also be grateful if you would take a minute to give us a rating on Apple Podcast. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple. That will put you in the right place. Jeff and I personally appreciate your rating and review, but even more importantly, reviews and ratings help the podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Finally, consider following us and sharing the good word about leading learning. You can find us on Twitter by going to leadinglearning.com slash Twitter, on Facebook at leadinglearning.com slash Facebook, and on LinkedIn at leadinglearning.com slash LinkedIn. We also encourage you to use the hashtag leadinglearning on each of those channels. Wherever and however you do it, please do follow us and help spread the word about leading learning. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.